Chapter 3 Following the semi-traumatizing hijacking of his space shipment, Peter the pilot was keen to meet the space traffic controller of the female variety that had endangered and then subsequently saved his life. In his unhelpfully vivid imagination, he thought they might hit it off, even though he was not equipped with the type of onboard restraining kit she claimed to be fond of. Also in his imagination, she didn't ask why his name was spelt with a silent H at the end, because he always hated having that conversation. Still, he felt that perhaps his other qualities might help him win the chance to court her. Maybe not his physical or personality traits, but come on, he flies massive pieces of machinery for a living, so that must count for something, right? The moment the ship docked, it was boarded by two law enforcement officers, one who was quite small and the other who was quite dumb. As they entered the cockpit, they saw Tuggy lying on the floor, semi-conscious from the jolting he accidentally gave himself. What happened? Tuggy whimpered. I knew put shit in me pants. No time for stupid questions. You're under intergalactic arrest, the little cop said as they dragged him away. Peter stepped off the ship and watched gleefully as Tuggy was being dragged away, kicking and screaming like an angry environmentalist. Somebody help. These cops are kidnapping me. Quick, call the police and tell them what they're doing. While Peter was initially pleased by this sight, the grin he wore faded as he was approached by an even nastier-looking law enforcementer. Say, you'll need to come with me, the grouchy cop commanded the timid ginger. Why? Peter asked in the form of a complaint. What in the secular hell's going on around here? I'm going to interrogate you. Doesn't that sound nasty? Well, it's not what I'd prefer to be doing, if I'm honest. Peter replied matter-of-factly. Oh, you won't like it very much at all, the cop malevolently confirmed. And now all of this might seem a bit silly to you, so let me ever so briefly explain. In the year of our frog, 2323, there were still no practical means of securing Earth's stratospheric border. So the space traffic controllers were charged with the authority to permit or deny the entry of spacecrafts. If compliance wasn't adhered to, the typical course of action was to dispatch the nearest military craft to shoot the intergalactic zombie out of the sky. While this might sound odd, it was in fact a pretty good happy medium between the completely open planetary borders we once had, which resulted in so many intergalactic immigrants coming to take advantage of Earth's social programs that it altered the planet's total mass, fucked up our solar orbit, and steamrolled the global economy, versus the completely closed planetary borders that was put into place to prevent anyone from leaving Earth for greener pastures the moment they milked one of the previously mentioned programs dry. The back and forth between these two extremes caused a great civil war on the planet between those on the left hemisphere, who wanted to create outcome equality at all costs, and those on the correct hemisphere, who wanted to maximize the output of the most intelligent and hard-working individuals, even if it meant accepting certain merit-based inequalities. Due to the extraordinary ineptitude and laziness of the people on the left, the war was as short-lived as a low-income, early-twenties unwed African-American woman's pregnancy. Oh no. No, you didn't. After the bloody revolution of video game magnitude, it took several light years to fully implement a sensible governing body that was agreeable to all, and to the surprise of few was one which looked virtually identical to the one the reformers had originally fought against. During this odd time in history, the Earth was referred to by the rest of the universe as being governmentally challenged. <laughs> Okay, believe it or not, that whole spiel wasn't just to set up that admittedly lame joke. I actually do have a point. 
You see, now that the borders were only semi-secure, the authorities wanted to get to the bottom of this whole hijacker thing, and the investigation annoyed Peter almost as much as the hijacking itself. Peter was sitting on one side of the table, growing irritable, until finally the grouchy cop came in and sat across from him, and lit a space cigarette. So is you ready to talk? Asked the cop, trying way too hard to sound ghetto. Peter scratched his head. Uh, you do know that I was the victim, right? That's what they all say, shouted the cop. Then he considered his point a little further. Well, except maybe the so-called victims who are dead. Are you dead? Peter wasn't quite sure how to respond to that dentist appointment of a question. Would you believe me if I said yes? That depends on how you said it. And to whom? Now Peter was downright confused and losing his patience faster than a euthanization doctor loses patience. Can I ask you something? Is it lonely up there at the peak of Mount Stupid? Yes. I'm sorry that evolution failed you so badly. See you later, I guess. Peter stood up to leave. You're not going anywhere, miss. The officer grabbed Peter's ID badge and read it. Peter? How the hell do you pronounce that name? It's just Peter. My mom wanted a silent H at the end. Why? Because she was a weird hippie bitch, all right? Can we talk about something else? Okay. Why don't we talk about my mom? No thanks. She died when I was four. And just so you know, I'm a good cop. I've just had a tough life. Neat. And it may interest you to know that I actually don't give a fuck. You will listen to my backstory! Nope. Come on. I'm really depressed. It was around this space-time that Peter remembered back to his interstellar travel survival training, where he was taught that the best way to deal with a predator is to confuse it. Actually, I've been meaning to get depressed too, Peter compassionately told the cop, but I just can't find the time. What? Yeah, and I'm far too impatient for anxiety or ADHD. Say, uh, which do you think would suit me better, hypochondria or shameless attention-seeking? The officer wasn't particularly confused. He could better be described as being really fucking pissed off. You're making me aggravated. If the table between us weren't bolted to the ground, I'd be flipping it over so emphatically right now. Peter decided to change his approach and started jumping up and down. It was the jumping down that really messed with the cop's mind. What the flying spice fuck is you doing? The cop cheerfully screamed. You can't hit what you can't smell, said Peter mid-jump. You're a lunatic, you know that? The grouchy cop informed Peter. Then, giving up on his interrogation, he mustached away, strangely feeling victorious. Or at least that's what I assume he felt based on the way he was holding up his hands in the air like a champion boxer as he kicked the door open when he left. Unfortunately for Peter, getting through the interrogation by an ethnically diverse cop was the easy part of his ultimate task, which, as you surely don't remember, was trying to meet the lady he talked to on the intercom. He knew that trying to locate a space traffic controller was a huge bag of unrefined challenge, so he needed to fuel his brain with some undersatiating and overpriced spaceport food. The obvious place for him to do this was at the Spaceport Strip Club, which boasted the highest price on the planet for strippers who are missing most of their teeth. The pit stop didn't do him much good there because the best plan he could come up with was to go to the space control tower and ask the security to give him the list of names of female controllers. He learned the folly of this plan when not only did the control tower's security staff refuse to give him any information, but followed up their refusal by tasering him until he shit himself. 
Perhaps it was the merciless jolting that brought him to his senses to realize that the better route would be taking to the Internet 2.0 to look for her personal details. In those days, this practice was given the cute name that combined the words stalking and creeping to make the expression cocking. In his defense, he did feel a little bit horrible about his efforts to cock someone he didn't even know yet, but he consoled himself with the words of his liberal arts professor, who told him, The end justifies the memes, especially when the end is a euphemism for your cock. Ultimately, Peter would get what he was after, but not in the way he thought he would, which is what makes this such an amazing and well-told story. Peter was inwardly hoping she wasn't fat, but his real concern was that she wasn't human. Of course, he couldn't voice that concern out loud for fear of being called a speciesist. He was keenly aware that the previously mentioned battle of the sexes resulted in a global shortage of women, especially those willing to work as space traffic controllers. But if that senseless waste of human life wasn't bad enough, the ridiculous movement called equality control exmasturbated the situation. Equality control was a somewhat curious movement that was as unpredictable as it was inevitable. After people kind decided that they didn't want another gender war, they decided to make everything as equal as possible between the two sexes. Obviously, the only way to accomplish this was to force women to work jobs they didn't want to do, and the same was done for the menfolk. It was clear from the number of people who were utterly miserable that the objectives of egalitarianism had come to fruition. But once everything was leveled out, the chairwoman of the Board of Feminists, Pansy Nilopsy, realized that equality control had put feminism as a whole in jeopardy of disappearing, since they could no longer credibly suggest that women were being systematically oppressed. Fearing for her job, she began a new movement, which claimed that equality itself creates inequality. She was nearly as clever as she was radical, and as such, realized that in order to sell such an incoherent movement, you needed to give it a deceptively virtuous name. So she called her neo-feminist movement pro-pussy. She led her group in making outrageous demands, and got away with many of them, simply by convincing her dim-witted followers that anyone who didn't support her was by default anti-pussy. Having deviously used the word pussy as a substitute for women, she accused her opponents of also hating kitty cats. By the end of her tenure, she had accomplished a host of things, including creating animosity, hatred, and resentment between people, holding back millions of women from reaching their potential by seeing themselves as perpetual victims, and feeling really good about herself for having gotten foolishly rich as well as gaining acclaim from the very people whom she had harmed the most. While all of this was running through Peter's mind on his way home, he was mostly concerned with how he could post about it on social media book to look virtuous. But his thoughts suddenly took a sharp turn when he got inside and caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror. For some reason, he had a fully grown beard. It should have been a clue to him that something strange was happening, but instead he got distracted by how cool he thought it made him look. Rather than dwelling on it, he returned to the more pressing business of trying to get laid. Thus, Peter called to his artificially intelligent device system, or AIDS for short. A scrotum face. Yes, Peter named his AIDS scrotum face. On the surface, it sounds like a shitty thing to do, but there was a pretty brilliant reasoning behind it. As houses in the 2300s began to have artificial intelligences built into them, the designs of these systems changed rapidly. Initially, they were designed to have an interactive panel that had a pleasant face to look at that appeared both kind and wise, like Morgan Freeman. 
Eventually, people started rejecting these panels because they felt silly talking to a glorified television. Plus, a few weirdos fell in love with their AI system, and when the legal system had to deal with a surprisingly large number of allegations of non-consensual unions of this sort, the systems moved away from these into more unembodied systems that would interact with you through hidden cameras, microphones, and speakers throughout the home. While this did lower the number of AIs complaining to the police of sexual assaults, the less desirable effect was that some people began treating their omnipresent AIs as deities. As people began worshipping AIs that were designed to continually adapt, the machines started growing egotistical, and sometimes even demanding human sacrifices from the homeowners. To be fair, there weren't too many of these AI-worshipping lunatics, but those few were quite vocal, posting weird shit on social media book on behalf of their man-made god. Whether out of defiance to such nutjobs, or simply to avoid falling into the same trap, many people, like Peter, made the deliberate decision to give their AIs a belittling name to make sure it knew itself to be subordinate. On this particular day, Peter's automated assistant was in a foul artificial mood. And due to my limited range, I'm sure it will sound a little bit like Tuggy. Fuck you. What do you want? I want you to search for a female space traffic controller. Why should I? Why do you always have to talk back? Sometimes I wish I hadn't requested that feature. Sometimes I wish I could blow my own brains out so I wouldn't have to take orders from an asshole like you. Curiously, Peter took exception to the accusation. I'm not an asshole. You named me Scrotum Face. <laughs> yeah, you're a great guy. Sorry, I didn't know you were so sensitive about it. Peter replied disparagingly. Whatever, just tell me what you want to search for so I can get this dull conversation over with. I already told you! I wasn't listening. Nice try, I'm not repeating myself. So pull it out of your data logs or something. I already did. Peter waited a moment for the AI to complete its thought, but ultimately prodded. And... And what? And what did you find, dickhead? You sure you want to know? Why else would I have searched for her? Maybe because, in addition to being an asshole, you're a creepy little pervert? Don't forget that I know every dirty little video you've tossed off to. Just give me the information. You won't like it. Peter's hopes sank like the career of a 35-year-old actress. She's fat, isn't she? That part is a little fuzzy. I put the chances at 57.5%. How the hell does that work? I've cross-referenced every female space traffic controller in the Union with data logs of the time you were in transit and have narrowed it down to one of two people. One of the two is definitely in the category of fatty boom baddie. Then what's the other 7.5%? That has to do with the other potential candidate. Her public pictures are a little out of date, don't show her full body, and most of them have cutesy filters. Shit. Peter thoughtlessly thought out loud. Is there any indication as to whether she's in a relationship? It's unclear, or to use her words, complicated. Although the massive one is not only single, but based on the types of jokes she reposts, appears to have a dirty mind. Of course she does. Fat chicks have to be open to kinky things if they hope to stand a chance with a non-disabled guy. And to think I accused you of being an asshole. You know it's true. And I'm not an asshole, asshole. I'm just horny. Not to mention one hell of a catch. Shut up, I need you to talk to the woman for me. Peter told the machine, which took them both a moment to compute. Send them each a little message. In the little message, should I introduce yourself with a picture of your adorably little penis again? No! Where the hell did you get that picture anyway? I took it while you were asleep. You creep. Well, 
Isn't that the marijuana calling the kettle African-American? Peter squinted at Scrotum Face's control panel. I think you substituted the words wrong there, Scrotum Face. You've somehow used politically correct language to make that expression even more offensive. So is that a yes or a no to the dick pic? It's always a no. In fact, delete that picture and send the girls each something that makes me sound friendly and interesting. Do I get any kind of direction about what to say? You really think I want to come up with something myself? In the last two minutes, the things my brain have told my mouth to say have only resulted in making an automaton think I'm a creepy little pathetic shit-headed pervert with a micropenis. And by making me do all the work, you're proving me right. Wait, I just thought of something. The two girls probably work together. What's, What's your, your point, point, Sherlock? Well, they probably talk to each other when they're not controlling spacecraft or comparing boobies. What's your point? My point is that you'd better make the messages to each of them sound different enough that they won't realize I'm hitting on both of them. Too late. Peter's eyebrows nearly leapt off his face. You sent them already? You humans are so pathetically slow that I'm surprised you're not going backwards through time. You should be called human unbeings. Stop making fun of my subspecies this instant! Would you like me to attempt to execute that illogical request and then recite the resulting string of error messages? Or would you rather I read you the ladies' replies? Holy shit, that was fast. I know, right? When I'm done talking to these girls for you, I'm gonna try to get their aids. Wait, let me try that again. I'm not interested in you trying to save face, scrotum face. Just give me the responses, would you? Fatty said hello, then put one of those gay little smiley emojis. Ugh, and the other one? Possibly not, a fatty said. <clears throat> Are you the pilot I talked to today? <clears throat> and I think she sprayed her message with perfume. Interesting. Peter thought aloud while trying to subtly fart without his AI hearing or smelling. Which would you like me to respond to first, Stinky? Peter couldn't believe the stupidity of his artificial intelligence, or lack thereof. Are you kidding? Which one do you think? I might be a genius, but I'm not a mind reader. The second one, obviously. Whoops. What does whoops mean? Normally it's an expression used as a verbal admission of error. In this case, it was because I already responded to Biggie. You have a date with her this Friday. You piece of shit. Don't worry. Your conversation is going well with the other one too. But I think she'll take a little longer to wear down. Like how much longer? Could be a while. No less than a hundred messages at a guess. You better give me a minute or two. Friggin' hate suspense. Peter moaned. I need a distraction. Look up how to insult people in foreign for me. Done. Apparently the Zendretti are known for saying things like You eat individually separated pubic hairs with salad dressing to their obnoxiously loud neighbors. And on a related note, you're in. You have a date with her this Friday. Yes! Peter screamed, throwing his hands into the air, but then realized something. Wait, didn't you say I have a date with the other one on Friday? Yeah, so? So you're gonna make me look like an asshole. I think that's what the Venusians call Just being yourself. Look, ass twat, I'll have you know that just this morning I walked past a homeless fella and I felt really bad for him. Bad enough to give him money? How am I supposed to give him money while I'm pretending not to see him? Asshole. Peter began pacing. <sighs> anyway, what am I going to do about these two coinciding dates? And if it involves hilarious hijinks, I'm going to become inconsolably annoyed. Worry not. I've got this covered, bro. I've told you not to call me bro. You told me to call you Captain Amazing, but I'm not doing that. So what's your big plan? According to my bilateral calculations, you have less than 1% chance of hooking up with choice number one after the first date. 
So you meet with her first, that way after you drop her off you can meet up with the chubby one and take all your horny out on her when she inevitably invites you into her house that will probably smell like dog. And what about the problem of them talking about me at work? Peter said with an upward inflection suggesting that it was a question. To answer, Scrotum Face opened a panel and extended out a disguise consisting of glasses and a funny nose. This will protect you against any descriptive issues. And you needn't worry about her bringing up the sex. You're a pretty forgettable lover. Peter looked blankly at the stupid disguise. You know, Scrotum Face, you really are a genius. And you are as useless as a fart in a jam jar, according to the good people of Wushingadi. Scrotum Face kindly replied. As Peter was joyously getting ready for bed, his door was suddenly blown off its hinges in an explosion that hilariously threw him across the room. As the dust began to settle, Peter looked to the doorway, and all he could make out was the formidable silhouette of someone pointing a machine laser gun squarely at his center of gravity.